morning, I want to invite you to use your imagination with me. I want you to imagine that you are on an airplane right now, that it's late at night, that you're nowhere near your destination, the airplane is dark, most of the other passengers are sleeping. Now, I don't know if you're lucky enough to have empty seats around you or if you have someone next to you that's, you know, in your space a little bit as they sleep. I'll leave that detail up to you and your imagination. It's quiet. You have your laptop open and you're working on finishing up a deadline. And all of a sudden, you overhear a voice behind you. It's the voice of a woman, and you can tell by the tone and the tenor of her voice that she has some lived experience. And she says, it's not true that no one needs you anymore. And all of a sudden, you're feeling a little bit guilty because you realize you're eavesdropping on a conversation that they probably don't want you to listen to. But it's really outside of your control. You know that she's speaking to someone, but you don't know who she's speaking to. You don't remember noticing who was seated behind you when you got on the plane. And as you try to get back to work on your laptop, the voice interrupts again and says, stop saying that it would be better if you were dead. And in that moment, your heart sinks and maybe your throat tightens up and you're feeling the weight of this conversation that's taking place behind you. And maybe you begin to imagine and to picture who this person is on the other side of the voice, the one being spoken to, the one who's clearly struggling, the one who is experiencing maybe some disappointment, some disillusionment, and it sounds like some despair, some depression. And you begin to wonder, what has led them to this point in their life. You try to get back to work because again, you're feeling a little bit guilty that you're eavesdropping on what seems to be a very private conversation. Several hours later, the plane lands. And you're gathering up all of your belongings. The lights turn on and everyone is waking up and beginning to get their things. You stand up and you begin to get your luggage out of the overhead compartment, and you're trying to resist looking at who's behind you, but you do it anyways. And what you see shocks and confounds you because you recognize the person that the woman was speaking to. It's an individual in their 80s who has lived life well according to all of our cultural standards. This person is famous. This person is a household name. This person has contributed greatly to our culture and to our society. This person was one of your childhood heroes. They are absolutely famous. They absolutely have power and influence and all of the things that go along with that. And you can't imagine how they must be feeling to have expressed what they expressed. And you continue to watch as the people around you begin to notice the individual that was seated behind you and they begin to nudge their, hey, hey, did you look, did you see? Look who that is, 
and it creates a stir. And you watch the individual stand a little bit taller because the individual also knows what's happening. And as the individual walks off the plane, the pilot is standing outside of the cockpit saying goodbye as the passengers exit the plane and the pilot's eyes get huge. And the pilot says, sir, I wanna thank you for all that you have done. You have been one of my heroes since I was a little boy. Now this story, while in your imagination this morning, did actually take place. It's told by an author named Arthur Brooks in a book he wrote called Strength to Strength. In the book, he never discloses to us who the individual was, but I'm sure you can imagine who it might be based off of who you would think would be one of your childhood heroes. What Arthur decided to do after this defining moment on the airplane was he began to research and look at and study what is it that helps us to finish our lives with a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness and well-being. You see, if the individual on the airplane was not finishing with those things and they had all of the worldly success, power, prestige, and possessions that most of us could never even hope or imagine to have, then what in the world could it possibly take for us to get to the end of our lives with a sense of gratitude and satisfaction and fulfillment? I share this story with you this morning because, well, reading the story, I thought, oh man, I can relate to the man on the plane. There are moments when I am grasping for and chasing things, and then I'm left after I get them feeling dissatisfied. I think that this is the thing that's gonna make me feel good, and then it leaves me empty. And then I go searching after the next thing, and it still doesn't quite fit. Or maybe I have this picture in my head of what I think I need or what I think I want, and the reality is, it's just not gonna work out that way for me. Either life or circumstances has gotten in the way or I'm just not quite gifted or talented enough, but I'm feeling this sense of dissatisfaction because I don't get what I'm searching for or what I want. You see, these would be what culture has identified as our human programs for happiness. This chasing, this grasping of power and prestige and possessions, well, what culture is not aware of is Jesus already dealt with all this stuff. And he speaks to it. And we're gonna talk about that this morning. We're gonna talk about how when we begin to recognize and acknowledge that that way of being human, it's really not working out so well. Whether we get all the stuff we dream of or we never get the stuff we dream of, either way, we get to the end and we're left going, is this, is this all there is? There's gotta be more. And Jesus says to us, yes, there is more. I want to show you a new way of being human. I saw one statistic that I thought was fascinating. Do we have any Olympic athletes in the room? Is there anybody? I see a hand in the back of the room. I see two hands in the back of the room. Okay, I don't wanna offend you. Just kind of. Okay, that, he came with a disclaimer. I like this. I like disclaimers. 
Okay, I didn't even look on this side of the room. Do I have more than two Olympic athletes in the room? This is a very talented bunch of people today. Read a statistic, they did a study of Olympic athletes and they found that 56% of them would take certain death in five years if they could get the gold medal. That's kind of a jaw-dropping statistic. Now, I have never known what it's like to desire a gold medal. I am not that talented. But here's what I wonder. Get rid of the gold medal. Can we all imagine what that might be for us? The thing that we think we have to have, the thing that we're desiring so much, the thing that we want, the thing that we're attached to, the thing that we're grasping, and we think if we get it, then we're really living. I don't know what it is for you, but I have an idea of what some of those things have been for me and, and even continue to be to varying degrees. And so what we're talking about today is this invitation from Jesus to a new way of being human. We're gonna recognize where these programs for happiness are not serving us well. And we're gonna look at a new way of being human together. And so what we're gonna start out with is what's called the Beatitudes, which is blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those, those are the Beatitudes. And this is when Jesus is beginning to describe to us for the very first time, the values of the kingdom of heaven what the kingdom of heaven is like and what it's like for those of us who are in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you were not with us last week, totally encourage you to go back and listen. We talked about what is the kingdom of heaven? What is it like? Because it's one of these concepts we read a lot about in the gospels. It was the thing Jesus talked the most about, but to be honest with you, sometimes I'm still kind of going, what? What is this? And how do I get my hands wrapped around what this is and what it means? So we're gonna start there with a little bit of review. So the kingdom of heaven is where what God wants done is done. It's the reign and the rule of God. And if God is in fact good and kind and gentle and merciful and loving like a heavenly father, then we wanna be in the kingdom because we can expect goodness and full life and satisfying life inside the kingdom. Now, Dallas Willard is one of my favorite theologians and he gives what I think is one of the best descriptions of the kingdom. And that is that the kingdom is where God is active. So we get to experience this grace of God at work in our lives in ways we can't see. We mostly will never even be able to comprehend, but God is active. The spirit is present. So the spirit of Christ is in us and around us, present with us no matter what we're facing. And Jesus is alive. He has conquered sin and death, and he is bringing new life and resurrection to our stories, to our pain, to our disappointment. So that's what the kingdom is, and that's what it's like. And he begins the Beatitudes. He starts with, who is happy in the kingdom? Who is happy in the kingdom? And so in Matthew chapter five, verse three, this is what he says. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Most of you have probably heard that before. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Most of my life, when I read that verse, it went like this. What in the world does it mean to be blessed in the kingdom? And what in the world does it look like to be poor in spirit? I don't know. 
The good news is we have incredible scholars and theologians who help us to dig deep beneath the surface of these words, to understand and uncover a richness that's there. And so we're gonna look a little bit with that together this morning. Blessed is not part of a wish and not to invoke a blessing. Rather, it's to recognize an existing state of happiness or good fortune. It's recognizing an existing state of happiness. Some biblical translators will actually translate this passage, happy are those who are poor in spirit. And then poor in spirit, it's simply the humble who seek God. Juxtapose that with the human programs for happiness that we talked about early. So this constant seeking and grasping and searching and attachment to power and prestige and possessions. And Jesus says, happy are those who humbly seek God. In the message paraphrase, Eugene Peterson translates it this way. He says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you've done everything you know to do and you've hit a wall. You're blessed when you've exhausted all of your resources, all that you know to do, and you still don't know how to move forward. Happy are those who humbly seek God. Now, this week as I was in the scripture and processing through and praying through what this was gonna look like, all of a sudden I had this moment where uh, I made a connection in the scripture that I've never made before. So for some of you, this may not be new, but for me, it was new and I'm excited to share it with you today. So we're, we're looking at this, you know, happy are those who humbly seek God. And what I realized is if we rewind in the book of Matthew, we see Jesus live out what he's talking about. He literally walks us through in his life what this looks like and what it means. So we're gonna start with that. This new way of being human starts with and returns to the question, who am I? Now, if you've been with us on other Sundays, you know that we talk about this a lot because it is a really important foundational principle to the way that we read scripture, the way that we interact with others, the way we think about God, this question of who am I? Do I trust that I am beloved by God? Do I trust that I am his son or his daughter? Do I trust that he loves me, that when he looks at me, he sees someone who is created in his image? And we see here, Jesus starts there too. So before he has performed a miracle, before he has gathered a crowd, before he's preached a sermon, this is what we see. Matthew chapter three, Verse 16, it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water and at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Now we've had this verse before. We've talked about it recently. This is how important it is. And sometimes we read it and we go, okay, I get that about Jesus, but what does that mean for me? Because I'm really not as much like Jesus as I would really like to be. Here's the good news. The scripture also tells us that we are heirs to all of the heavenly blessings in Christ. 
And so when we see God the Father blessing Jesus at the baptism, that is the blessing that we are heirs to. We are adopted as his sons and daughters in Christ and we get access to all of the blessings. And so when God says that about Jesus, friends, he's saying that about you. This is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love and with you I am pleased. We've gotta start there. We have to stay there. We have to soak in it until it just is like oozing out of us. That's why we talk about it here so often. We need to be reminded of it over and over again. And then it continues as we acknowledge and release our attachments to power and prestige and possessions, also known as these human programs for happiness. We see Jesus come up out of the water after this moment of blessing with God, and he goes right into the wilderness for 40 days, where he wrestles with the temptation to be attached to power and prestige and possessions. Let's read together, we're in Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, again, this is another place where I am really grateful for biblical scholars and commentators, some of whom lived a long time ago, some of whom lived in this century, Henry Nouwen comes to mind, who've helped me to understand that Jesus is talking here about the temptation to power. If you're really the son of God, use your power to get what you want. Use your power to get what you need. You see, Jesus was not just hungry. Jesus was starving. This was a temptation to power. And then in the next one, we see the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. The angels will catch you. This we see is a temptation for prestige. So imagine the temple, it's at the center of the city. People are going to be everywhere. And if Jesus is at the top of the temple and he throws himself off and angels help him to just kind of gently fly down, he's going to be automatically worshiped as the Messiah. He's going to be seen as the savior of the world. Jesus resists this temptation, knowing that he's gonna go into a life of suffering instead of just taking it. This was the temptation for prestige. And then it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. So what we see here, many scholars believe, is the temptation for possessions. To say, I want all the things, all the world's splendor. I want it to be mine and I'm gonna take it like that. Jesus resists the temptation. You see, these are culturally accepted now as human programs for happiness, but we see Jesus tempted by these. We see the scripture writers, writers help us to see these long before culture recognized that they, they're really not working so well for us. And then it continues to expand with the announcement of the kingdom. So right out of the baptism waters, Jesus goes into the wilderness. 
right out of the wilderness. Here's what happens next. Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, last week we talked about that word repent. And many of us are used to it being a really heavy word that makes us feel super guilty. And we talked about how that's really not what the word means. The word literally means to change, to rethink the way that we think about God, about ourselves, about others, to rethink these programs for happiness and how they're really not working so well for us. And then right after this, we see Jesus teaching the Beatitudes. So here's the thing. What took Jesus 40 days, according to the scriptures, I am expecting to take me more than a lifetime. Last service I said a lifetime, and I thought about it later, and I thought, no, I think this is gonna be more than a lifetime project. I think it's gonna take a little longer than that but we see Jesus model this for us. Happy are those who humbly seek God. And we can begin to recognize when those human programs for happiness are at work in our lives and they're leaving us dissatisfied and they're leaving us disappointed and maybe even leaving us worse off than that. And we can say yes to a new invitation from Jesus to a new way of being human but we must begin with rethinking the way that we think about God. We cannot overemphasize that enough. You see, because as we learn to trust, to really believe that God is loving and kind and gentle, like the best heavenly father you can imagine, who doesn't see all of the faults that we have and all the missteps and all the ways that I'm grasping for power and prestige and possessions, but he sees me as a human doing her best, wanting to love God and wanting to love others, who's been harmed and is doing some harm along the way. If I can begin to trust that God is the safest place for me, then I can begin to see where maybe those human programs for happiness are operating in my life. But if I am afraid of God, and I am afraid of what God is gonna do if he sees, I'm gonna continue to try to make sure that things look as as I can make them seem. Do you see where the safety is super important? In so many ways, but in this way specifically, as we feel safe, then we can begin to acknowledge maybe that our way of doing this life as a human is not working so well. And that maybe there are parts of our lives that have become a bit unmanageable. That maybe there are places when I have come to the end of my rope. I've tried all the things, I've done all the things, I have exerted as much self-discipline and self-control as I can possibly do, and it's not enough. That's when maybe I can begin to consider what it means to be someone who's humbly seeking God. Richard Rohr writes in a book about step one of the 12-step process that Alcoholics Anonymous has gifted us with. And he says, you will not even know there is a larger source until your sources and resources fail you. Now, if you're familiar with AA, they talk um, in broad language about God. And so that word larger source would be a word for God that we will not even know 
that there is a larger source until our sources and our resources fail us, until we get to the end of our ropes and we're able to admit that maybe my way is not working, that maybe parts of my life have become unmanageable. It's then that we can begin to ask the Spirit to search us and to help us see the need for the grace of God to work in our lives. And then it's out of that place that we begin to watch new life blossom and resurrection happen. We begin to see healing even take place, that, that all the ways we've been grasping for things and attached to things, that we begin to hold on to them a little bit looser than we did before. So some questions that I'm asking myself uh, that sometimes allow me to see where these human programs are operating in my life, and they absolutely are, friends. Several years now, I have been aware of some of these things, and I'll take kind of two steps forward and think like, yeah, I'm doing pretty good with this one. And then the Spirit of God gently will bring my attention to something, and it's like, oh man, maybe I'm not making as much progress here as I thought I was. Still have some attachments there, still am grasping there. And so one question that we can begin to ask as we trust that we are safe with God and as we're inviting the grace of God to work in our lives, where am I overly attached to power? Now keep in mind, power, prestige, possessions, they're not inherently bad. In fact, when they're wielded in healthy ways, they can do a lot of good when we're attached to them and we're grasping for them, that's when we begin to harm ourselves and to harm others. And so a question may be, where am I overly attached to power? Where am I seeking to control others? Where am I seeking to manipulate others? Sometimes this is overt in my own life and sometimes this is covert in my own life. Sometimes it's hard for me to see, but I guarantee you the people in my life know when I am grasping for power. Another question, where am I overly attached to prestige? This is not something that I wanna tell you, but I am very aware most of the time how others are seeing me and how they're thinking about me. I think most of us are, and I'm more attached to it than I want to be, and I want to begin to release it and to let it go. I need the grace of God to do that in my life so that I get to experience the freedom on the other side of that. Where am I overly attached to prestige the way that others think of me or see me? Do they like me? Do they respect me? Do they love me? Those are some of the questions that sometimes we ask. And then finally, where am I overly attached to possessions? This is all the stuff the stuff that is not bad, but we think is gonna keep us happy, but it's fleeting. It just makes us happy for a moment. And then we gotta take care of the stuff. I drove my daughter to a birthday party yesterday in one of the nicest neighborhoods in Marietta. Had a long conversation with a very chatty guard that let me into the community. And as I'm driving through the community, all of a sudden, I am not liking my house nearly as much as I thought I liked my house. These houses are gorgeous. Last night, we're watching The Mandalorian. And I thought, I'm 
gonna look up these houses in this neighborhood and see what they've got going on over there. They are definitely outside of our price range. But this would be a moment where I can choose to be content and grateful for what we do have and not comparing and searching and grasping and attaching myself to some picture that I think is gonna satisfy. I don't know what this looks like for you. I know it's different in every one of our lives with all of our different personalities and all of our temperaments and all of the ways that we have been formed. But my prayer for all of us this week has been that as we begin to feel safe in who we are with God, that maybe the Spirit would begin to bring to mind where maybe we have some attachments to these things that are not serving us well, that are not serving those around us well. Now, here's the thing. We need community in order to do this. We need the Spirit of God, but we also need community because I don't know about you, but I have noticed that I don't see myself very clearly. Have you ever noticed that? That, that you think you operate a certain way and you interact with people a certain way. And have you ever asked anybody what it's like to be on the other side of you? That's a really scary question. We need safe community with people that can help us discern where we're overly attached to some of these things. My husband, Ryan, is a part of that. He's my best friend in the world, but he's not always the best at this because he usually will take my side. We need small groups. I meet with mine tomorrow night. These are women who will reflect back to me with honesty and grace what they see. We need mentors and spiritual leaders who are a little further along in the process that can help us to see things that maybe we can't see yet in grace. And then I want you to imagine with me the impact that this new way of being human will have on those that you come in contact with. Imagine the impact on your family, on your roommates, on your friends, on your friends at school, on your classroom, on your workplace. Imagine the impact that is, as you begin to release the need for all this stuff that's not working, how it frees you up to love others. You see, when I stop trying to grasp for control in my life, there's a new freedom to love and serve others well. When I stop grasping and attaching myself and thinking about the way that you're thinking of me as I'm in conversation with you, as the grace of God helps me to release that, I'm able to be present with you and focused on what you're sharing with me and not filtering it through how am I showing up? And as I begin to ask God to release the need for all the stuff, it just frees me up so much more to just be with people, to serve others. Do you see the connection there? It's pretty powerful. Now, one thing I've noticed is as God helps me to see some of these things, it's just not fun. Like, that's just the reality. It's just not fun. But there is new life and hope and even a resurrection along the way. You see, every time we release one of these things, it's a little loss or a small kind of death. But hope in the kingdom is that on the other side of that is newness of life. On the other side of that is resurrection. Uh, Evan has a song for us that we're gonna sing that I think captures this hope, this expectation. 
so well. And Evan, you were telling me about another phrase that you learned growing yes. up that's even better than new life and resurrection, maybe. <laughs> what is it? No, so when growing up, this was called being set free. This is one of those things. You're, this, you see this person being set free. You see this happening. And what it is, it's really this, like you were saying, it's this uh, something that's already there. It's already readily available. And that person coming to the realization of that thing by the power of the Holy Spirit and by understanding, like, that's it. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. And you see, as this song says, there's, I, I believe we're about to see another resurrection. It's not a physical resurrection. It's looking at somebody and saying, that's new life. That's a new way of thinking. Yeah. That's a new mindset that you have that is just beautiful. And what I would say again, is like, that's being set free. Yeah. That's it there. Yeah. yeah. So as I lose these attachments, as I release them, there's new life on the way. There's resurrection on the way. And it's bigger and better and more wonderful than we could ever imagine. Absolutely. All right, let's do this. Awesome. So before we start this, we're going to, I'm just going to teach you a little bit about it, okay? So it's just, do you see what I see? Okay, you ready? You say, do you see what I see? All right, does that sound good? Sounds all right. Now you can't yell that while sitting down, so go ahead and stand up. And if you know the person beside you, if you don't know them, you don't have to do this. If you want to, you still can. But if you know the person that's beside you, just have a little fun with this. You know, you say, do you see what I see? You do it, you right? Here we go. One, two, three, say, do you see what I see? Oh, that sounds good. I think we're getting it. One more time. Do you see what I see? All right, I think we got this. Y'all ready? Let's actually do this song. Ready?
is the real 